John chapter 5. While you're doing that, I want to welcome guests and visitors from out of town, returning visitors. We're delighted you're here. We, we rarely have a week that does not go by where we don't have several visitors to our church. We're excited you're here. Hopefully you received a visitor's packet and uh, on the way in, and you filled out a connection card so you have a record of your visit. Please don't miss tonight. We have the church calendar of events we'll be distributing, as well as some other goodies that we'll be giving to you. And the next few weeks are just things we want to put in your hands. Our 20th anniversary mug will be given out next Sunday evening. And uh, you don't want to miss Dr. Gibbs as he preaches next week. Dr. Gibbs who just has been used of God, a great, great, great preacher of the Word of God. And he'll be here with us on, on Sunday, all day next week. And then Monday, Tuesday of that, of that same week, the 21st and 22nd, Dr. R.B. Ouellette will be preaching for us. Dr. Ouellette will be retiring from officially from his church in June of this year. And uh, we're going to lead the church and take a special love offering uh, during the time Brother Ouellette's with us here to just show our expression of love for him. But God's used him greatly. If you've never heard either of these men preach, you've got to be in church for that. And the following Sunday on the 27th, as our anniversary banquet. Let's use that sun, the next two Sundays as a special opportunity of inviting our friends, our guests, people that we have to have be guests in church to hear the gospel preach. And uh, let's pray that many will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. We had a great turnout yesterday for our, our So Many Outreach. Had a good number of our folks out here yesterday, and people got saved. And we're just thankful these last few days we're just seeing people come to Christ. And uh, the number one goal is that you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that's important. Amen? Now, you're going to have to help me this morning. You guys look sleepy and tired, and, you know, you look like uh, you need a comforter. And I'm not talking about the Holy... Now, you need the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but a lot of you think you need a comforter to keep you kind of just warm and asleep there. We're not going there today, amen? And uh, I want you... If you want me to end on time, you've got to say amen, okay? Is that agreed upon? You want to go home and eat your lunch, okay? If you want to go home and get your fried chicken, you want to get your fried rice and your chow mein and chow fun, you better say amen, because otherwise we're going to be here for a long time. This is Vision Sunday, and I've got a big vision, amen? Okay? And I, I'm full of it right now. I mean, I could go all day preaching. I believe I can go all day preaching. Amen? I can. I've done that. So if you want to go, I can see some people getting nervous. Is he like this all the time? No, just 99% of the time. Amen? So this will be good. John chapter 5. Hey, let's do this. Let's read the Bible together. Isn't that a blessing? The Bible says, blessed are they that read. I'm going to read the odd number of verses. You read even number of verses until we get to verse 9. Are you ready? After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Congregation, now there... In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Congregation, for an angel... Notice this, and a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Congregation, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lie. And the impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water's troubled to put me into the pool. While I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Congregation, verse 8, and Jesus saith unto him, And immediately the man was made whole. He took up his bed. He walked. On the same day was the Sabbath. Do you notice some interesting things we're going to see in our message this morning? Would you notice this was the feast of the Jews in verse 1? This was a public appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you notice that he was outside, he just inside the sheep gate. This is an entryway into Jerusalem. There were many different gates so you could enter into Jerusalem. He's outside the sheep gate. You want to underline the word Bethesda? Is it a location called Bethesda? And our attention's called not to the throngs who came to the feast. Our attention this passage is called to a great multitude of people, broken people, blinded people, burdened people. 
And we go a little bit further and we see focus on a man. You see, when God looks at you and me, he doesn't see a congregation only. He looks at you. He sees a man. He sees a woman. He sees me. Jesus is not there just as a human being. He is there as the Son of God. Amen? And I'll tell you, wherever Jesus shows up, there's something big going to happen. The Bible says this man was in this condition 38 years. Anybody here in the room 38 years old? Now, if you're 38 years old, you're still a kid. Amen? So I'm feeling, I hear these, I hear these 20, I feel so old. I say, you're not old. You're just lazy, amen? No. <laughs> Take some vitamins, get out of bed, amen? Jesus described his condition as a long time. A long time. And then notice, if you would, we go down to verse Six, Jesus asked him a question. Then notice verse eight. Rise, get up, take up thy bed. And the bed is not as we think about as what we sleep on, okay? It was a mat. It was a mat. Every day for 38 years, this man had to bring his mat unroll it under the shade of this portico called the five porches. He had to have somebody unroll it for him. And whoever carried him laid him down on that mat. On this particular day, his life changed. But you notice the next word? Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. I'm going to preach a message this morning. One word. Walk. Walk. You don't remember anything else this morning. I want you to remember the word. Walk. Father, this morning, we're so thankful to be saved. We're so thankful to be forgiven. We're thankful, Lord, for that we could be called the sons of God. Thank you that Jesus is ours and we are his. Thank you that no matter who we are in this room, that God, you look at us as an individual, just as this one man. Would you help us today to see some significant thoughts you want us to possess and can take control of? Would you speak to every need? Open our eyes, behold wonderful things out of your law. Help us to have a teachable heart and spirit. Minister to every need this morning. Lord, feed the flock of God which is among us. Help me as I preach to take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, nor for filthy lucre, but of a willing mind. I pray for the fullness of the Spirit. I pray that, Lord, we leave rejoicing today until we think about the word walk. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most basic and useful exercises we take for granted is walking. How many like to walk? Amen. Now, I prefer walking to sitting anytime, except when it's time to go to sleep, then it's time to go to sleep, amen? I don't walk in my sleep. How many walk in their sleep? Anybody walk in their sleep? Anybody willing to confess that? Amen? Okay. But uh, walking is one of the most basic exercises that we can have. It is the first main ambulation uh, accomplishment we have. Our, my little granddaughter, uh, Evie, we're trying to get her to, try and encourage her to walk, and I'm pushing her harder than her parents, because I want to see her walk, and I'm thinking, that might be a little dangerous, because when she crawls, she crawls really fast, but we noticed the other day, she stood up, and she was just holding herself up, and she went like this, and I said, whoa, you're doing pretty good, and she bent her knees and went like this, and why are you doing pretty good, and then she fell down, amen, you know, and, uh, but I'm looking forward to the day that she's going to walk her, her dad, uh, uh, Brother Solomon, held her actually by the hand, sent me a video, and, and kind of let her go, and she took a few steps and stumbled over, and I imagine probably the next time we get a video like that, she'll be walking around and they're going to be pulling their hair out and say, where are you, Evie? Where are you, Evie? You know? But walking is one of the most basic exercises we can accomplish. Walking is something everyone can do. Listen, we're at the beginning of a new year and maybe you're making some, you've made a resolution. You thought in your mind, I've got to exercise. The least you can do is just go walking. Amen? You can just go walk for a mile or two miles or whatever there. Now, there's some benefits to walking. 
They say that the benefits of walking are as follows. Number one, it's a, good, it's a good means of burning calories. They say if you walk 30 minutes per day, a good brisk walk, you 30 minutes per day, you can burn anywhere from 100 to 300 calories depending on the, on the pace that you walk at. Uh, secondly, walking is good for strengthening the heart. It just gets the blood circulating and going. They say walking at least 30 minutes a day, five days a week, can greatly reduce your risk for coronary heart disease by as much as 19%. That's a pretty significant number there. They say number three, that walking can benefit your, your blood sugar levels. It helps get, instead of just, you know, where our, our, we store up sugar in our body, kind of releases it and gets it going and burns calories and moves the blood sugar level down. Number four, you know, walking is just good to ease the joint pain. I had, a, I had a back injury many, many years ago in my late 20s, and I thought, man, this is bad. And I knew people that went through surgery and stuff, and I said, I just, I said I'm not going to go through that. And just one day, I just decided I'm going to force myself. I got out and started walking, walking, and I found about after a week, it just started to loosen up my back and my muscles, and I found that whenever my, my back is kind of like it's out of whack there just because of whatever, I just start walking again, and after a few days, it's back to normal again. I'm thankful for that, but it's good for reducing joint pain. Uh, here's another thing. Walking helps boost your immune function. They said they did a study during the flu season, and they said those who walked at a moderate pace for 30 to 45 minutes per day, listen to this, they had a 43% fewer, fewer sick days and fewer upper respiratory tract infections than the, the rest of the population. I thought that was a pretty significant number. Uh, number six, if nothing else, if you get kind of lethargic, and we do during wintertime, walking just helps you get your energy back. In fact, they, they, it's proposed that... After you have a heavy meal, the best thing you could do after a heavy meal is to walk about 15 to 20 minutes just to kind of work it off and get your blood, your blood circulating there. Uh, walking is good to improve your mood. If you're a moody person, go walk. Amen? Uh, I sometimes just tell our kids when they got a little moody, go take a walk. Amen? You know? Uh, my wife looks at me if I get moody, and I just look at her. She says, that means go take a walk, Alan. You know, go walk there, okay? Uh, but number eight, you know, walking just extends your life. It's good maybe adding a few more years to your life. I think we all want to do that. Uh, walking is good for your legs. It keeps your legs in shape and toning your legs and strength your legs. So walking is a good thing. Walking create, is good for creative thinking. Sometimes uh, for preachers, sometimes when we get kind of this place, we're stuck. Some of us like to drive. Uh, some of us like to walk. Uh, some of us take a nap and we wake up refreshed, whatever it may be. But walking is one of the best ways to just kind of unclutter your mind and getting you going. Walking is good for you. Notice our passage this morning. We're looking at a man. The solution for his life situation was he had to obey the Lord. He had to walk. Jesus told this man, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. We're looking at one of the incredible miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the third recorded miracle in John. It wasn't the third that he did, but it's the third recorded miracle of John. The first two that Jesus did in John were, were somewhat in private. One was at a wedding at the Cane of Galilee. It was a private setting with a bunch of family members there and friends. He turned water into wine. The second one, we, we bypassed this passage. We'll come back to a later time. was in the previous chapter. Jesus had returned to Cane of Galilee, a man who was called a nobleman. He was a wealthy man. He was a businessman. He was an important man. He walked 15 to 20 miles from Capernaum to make his way to Cana for one reason. He had a son that was in serious situation. His son was dying. In fact, he described this to Jesus. He said, sir, my son is at the point of death. He said he could die at any moment. And this man was in a very, very desperate strait because every, 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 every step he took, he was wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And he got to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him, and he said, sir, would you come down with me ere my son die? And Jesus didn't go down with that man. Right there at that moment, Jesus spoke the word. This man's, this man's son was healed. We find ourselves in now in chapter 5, Jesus comes to a feast. The, many are not really concluded what feast that is. It really doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is there in Jerusalem, and Jesus goes not to participate necessarily that moment in the feast he would get himself there but he made himself he went through the sheep gate because there was some business that God had to do there was some business God wanted to do with some people there I want you to notice this morning we look at this man who's called a man who we have no name of other than the fact that he was a certain man which had an infirmity and how Jesus told this man to walk notice first of all this morning in verses one to four we see the crowd we see the crowd. Notice it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. Notice as Jesus is there in Jerusalem, where Jesus was at was very important. This was a feast of the Jews. Jesus made his way there to celebrate. Jewish men were required to go to three of the feasts and show up there. This was one of them. Notice our attention is called 
called to a fountain in verse 2. This pool or this fountain. Now this pool had a name or this fountain had a name. And it was called Bethesda. You might want to write this down. Bethesda means the house of mercy or the house of grace. It was a place where there was, that was a pool that was fed by an underground spring. It bubbled over sometimes with water. This fountain was a central meeting place. Uh, I think of our courtyard here, which has been a blessing. And uh, our original plan design, when we wanted to build the building, I wanted these buildings connected. I wanted to have more, 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 more building space for more classrooms. But the city said, no, you can't do that. You've got too much space there. It'll be too building dense. You've got to have a courtyard. And I'm just thankful that uh, the Lord gave us the courtyard. Amen. And it's been a great traction point for people to assemble there. And they kind of hang out there in the mornings to, get, to have a cup of coffee and fellowship. That's a good thing. By the way, if you're not in, enrolled in one of our growth groups, I encourage you to enroll in one of the adult growth groups and uh, to be there. Just to make some friendships, and that's how we take the largest of the church and break it down to manageable size so you can make some people. And by the way, our lessons, we're, we're concluding a great series we've been on, entitled the, 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 keys to, uh, the Keys and Secrets to God's Success in Your Life. And this morning we saw the key to the Spirit's filling and uh, for several of our classes. Just a great blessing today, and you'll get some Bible, and you can spend some time writing out some questions and ask the teacher later about those questions, and I encourage you to roll in that. But this was a place that was a forum, like our, like our court. It was a place for pit. It was, a, it was a place of meeting where there was a fountain. Now, anytime you read in the Bible about fountains or wells or bodies of water, that's always a blessing. We read great things happen at a well. We read there in John chapter 4 that Jesus met a woman at the well. This woman's life was changed. We read about Isaac in, uh, in Genesis 26 that it says he went and redug his father's old wells. He dug those wells back up. We read about wells where something great happened and bodies of water. And this was a fountain where people assembled. It was a place, an assembly point. But I want you to notice we don't just see a fountain. We see a forum. We see a forum or a fellowship. The consortium of people that met there were not people that, uh, that were healthy. They were not people that uh, had any, that, they were not people that just kind of hung out there. This was a, a very, very special uh, group of people that met there. And the Bible tells us in verse 3 that in this forum, there lay there a great multitude of impotent folks of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, this fountain was purported to be a place where an angel would come down at certain times of the year. It was never announced. It was never on a calendar. It was never predicted. And an angel would come, and the, the, the tradition says that he would stir up the waters. The stirring of the waters meant that if the, once the waters were stirred, the first person that would make their way into that water, that person could be here, cured of their ailment. And of course, uh, you have all these people that are laying there, according to verse 3, and they all wanted to be healed. You have blind people that wanted to see. You had people who could not walk that wanted to walk. You had people that, were, that the Bible calls them were impotent. They were weak, and, and uh, they, they had some kind of infirmity. It says they were halt, and they were withered. That means that they were, they were at the place where they had no strength in their, their body. Just, this was a, just a very pitiful sight of people. And there at that fountain outside of there were the five porches. And that, those five porches represent five massive columns and pillars. It provided a shade that supported the building that overhung that. And these people would lay out their mats and they would lay there. And I want you to understand, this was a sea of humanity of people that was laying under these porticos that waited anxiously for the angel to come to stir up this water. And that if just one person could make their way there, they would be healed of their situation. I want you to understand we pause in verse 3 to see a situation that catches our attention in a way that should make us weep and should make us cry and should bother our hearts because as we see the sight here, we think of, we read it here, but we need to imagine in our sight there. I want you to imagine that there, as he describes impotent people that are blind and halt and withered, I want you to imagine with me the sight of all these people. These were hurting people. These were broken people. People. These were homeless people. These were people that were hurting beyond our imagination. There was the sight and there were the sounds, the sounds of groaning, the sounds of pathetic crying out and hoping something would happen. There was the smell because some of them were in a condition perhaps where their bodies were wasting away and the smell of decay was there. Listen, a person who was healthy would not make his way past this pool because any contact with those people before the feast would consider that healthy person to be unclean and they didn't want to be unclean 
unclean and contaminated for the worship of God. And so many that were healthy and well, including the Pharisees and the priests, they would bypass that area. You have no mention there about priests, and you have no mention there about Pharisees. You have no mention there about, quote-unquote, religious people being around there. All we have there is this mass of people represented by their sight and their smell and their sound, a sea of humanity of people that are suffering and affliction, some born that way, some never knowing what it meant to walk, and some never knowing what it meant to hear, and some never knowing what it meant to see, and some never knowing what it meant to have a to have strong arm. Let me hear the Bible says in that place, by this fountain where they just waited for the waters to stir, they said, these people lay there in a pathetic situation. And it's interesting, the only person we find going through that area is Jesus Christ. Jesus cares. Amen? Doesn't matter how broken you are, Jesus cares. I wonder this morning, is your heart moved by the masses of people that are not saved? You walk down downtown San Francisco, Market Street. You walk through downtown San Jose. Walk through downtown Oakland. You walk through the flea markets and the shopping centers. You ever stop to just... You see all the people walking by? Is your heart moved by the great masses of people? Multitudes, Jesus described, are sheep without a shepherd. Multitudes are lost in sin, in need of Jesus for salvation. The prophet Jeremiah said, mine eye affected my heart. Mine eye affected my heart. Nobody else cared. Jesus cared. Keith Wright said this, lost people matter to God, and they must matter to us as well. May I say to this church from day one, we've tried the best we can to obey God, have a burden in our heart for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've had a burden in our heart to come alongside of missionaries go to the foreign field, the gospel message on their heart, win people to Christ. I'm thinking of one of our missionaries who's down in Argentina right now, a young man that was here just a few years ago, took a year and a half, two years to learn the language. He's proficient enough that he can preach the language. Just got a report the other day. They just they had a great year end to Christmas, and people saved and baptized. In fact, I think they had about 10 people that were baptized, and and uh, now they're looking for a building to meet at. And well, we just got we're getting reports after reports of so many of our missionaries that are just what God is doing there. We'll tell you about one of our missionaries that's sent out of our church and what God's doing through him. But I remind you this morning, as we're here right in the da- smack dab center of the Bay Area, are you moved in your heart by the masses of people? Number one, we see the crowd. Number two, would you notice the cripple? Would you notice the cripple? All these people were assembled there. In verse 4, it says, in the middle part, it says, Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped in and was made whole of whatever soever disease he had. Listen, when the waters got stirred, there was a hope in the minds of this crowd of people. Who's going to be first to get over there and get his foot in the water so he could be healed? Who's going to be first to get over there and as he steps in, he could be cured of his ailment? First in, first out. And we leave verse 4, it kind of leaves us like, well, who will be that person? The Holy Spirit of God takes a spotlight from heaven and shines a spotlight on one man. He wants us to see a man that when we're done today, we're going to identify with. We see this man in verse 5 that said, a certain man was there which had an infirmity. I want you to notice his description of this man. Without sparing my description, 
He was a pathetic looking case. He was sad. You weren't moved by this man's condition. There was something wrong with your heart. This man was disabled in both his legs. His legs had gotten to place because we know of how long he'd been this way. His legs were basically nothing but skin and bones. He was emaciated. He had no muscle mass. He was completely atrophied. He had no ability to stand up. He had no ability to move. He never knew what it meant to move. He didn't understand that this man was disabled in both his legs. There was no muscle mass on him. He's described as being infirmed. He was inadequate and unable. He was infirm. Hey, you might want to write this down. This man was paralyzed. He had paralysis. He had the equivalency of paralysis. He couldn't move. This man was infirm. All he could do every single day was lay on that mat. We see a description of this man. Would you notice the duration of this man's condition? 38 years. Can you imagine this, this thought of an angel coming and stirring up the waters for 38 years, 3 to 65 days a year, for 38 years, this man was laid there hoping that one day he would be able to touch those waters and he would be healed. He had faith that one day would be his turn and one day would be his opportunity. But I want you to notice, 38 years this man was in this condition. We go down a little bit further in the scriptures and Jesus describes this man's situation in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lie and knew he had been now a long time in that case. It was long time this way. He was paralyzed long time. He couldn't walk for long time. We see this man in his description. We see this man in his duration. Notice in verse 7, we see this man in his desire. He wanted to walk. He wanted to be well. He didn't want to be in this condition anymore. He didn't want to be hanging out there. He didn't want to be one of those infirm people. He wanted to be able to walk. He wanted to get himself reassimilated in society. He wanted to be able to do normal things. Hey, he just wanted to do the basic thing of walking and the basic thing of doing knee bends. And he thought just the basic thing of getting his knee up and getting maybe the basic thing of maybe shooting a basketball. I mean, he just wanted to be able to run and do things that we all take for granted. He wanted to do all those things we do with our legs that, that just show that we're able and apt and able to move. But this man was laying on the ground there. He had been in that condition a long time and we read this man he wanted to get well he wanted wellness he wanted to walk you know you're in a situation that looks like it's hopeless you lose hope you lose desire this man didn't, didn't do so he had a desire that something had to happen. But notice something else. We see this man in his distress. He said, sir, in verse 7, I have no man. The water is troubled to put me into the pool. But when I'm coming, another step down before me. Do you understand the description here of what's going on? We have a man who's lame. He's crippled. He's he has the equivalency of paralysis. He'd been that way for a long time. He wanted to get healed very badly. And just as every other day, he lay there on that roll-up mat and hoping that the water would stir that he could get there. Jesus comes to him. This is what this man describes as his distress. He said, I have nobody to help me. I have no one to take me down here. I just, I mean, you imagine this man, the only way he could move around would be to crawl. I shared the story. I was uh, in uh, South Korea. We were on a trip, preaching trip. It was with several preachers, and we went to the, the big market. And I can't remember the name of the market. So those of you who've been to South Korea know where I'm talking about. It's this big market that they kind of a, just kind of like their equivalency of a flea market, but it's just a huge market. Anything you want to buy, you can get there. And to be honest with you, I wasn't interested in shopping. I just wanted to just have fellowship and, you know, things like that. But something caught my attention, really. It's still, even right now, is embedded in my mind. I saw a pathway open among the crowd of people. I saw the torso of a man that was on a cart that had four wheels. This man had gloves on that covered both his hands. And I looked very carefully. This man was using his arms and moving himself, but he had no legs. He had no legs. He was a beggar every day of his life. 
used two arms, was just a torso he had, moving himself along. He'd move, he had a bucket in front of him, he'd put the bucket out. He'd wait around, look around, see if he could put any money there. After a little while, he'd pull the bucket back in, start moving around. He worked his way around there every single day, morning, afternoon, and evening. He so wanted help. And this man in his distress so wanted help. And here's what he described. He said to Jesus, every time the water stirred, when I make a movement, somebody steps over me. Literally, people walked over him. Have you ever had that in life? Somebody walking over you? He had people walking over him. He said, someone stepped over me. Someone would always beat him to the water. Someone else would get there before me. Can you imagine this man's hope being built up that one day that he'd be able to get there and he would just get there and then somebody would just jump right over him and walk over him and they'd be the first in water and they'd beat him to it. This man was in great distress. He says here in verse 7, he says, sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. We see this man in his description. We see this man in his duration. We see this man in his desire. We see this man in his distress. But I want you to see something else. Would you notice this man in the depiction? Yes, equivalency of paralysis. He'd been a long time in that case. I believe there's two depictions as we work our way through the message this morning. I think there's two depictions we have. First of all, we see the depiction of every sinner. Every sinner is like that man, long time in that case and having no ability to save yourself. Let me tell you, sir and ma'am, if you think good works can save you, this man perhaps did good works. He probably gave food to the other people around him. But look, good works will not change that man's condition. And as a sinner, we have to understand, good works will not earn us favor with God. Good works, we do not get any credit with God for good works. The Bible says, well, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're not going to get in heaven, and I can't get into heaven by boasting we got in there with good works. God doesn't let us in that way. We get into heaven through the grace of God. The picture of every sinner. Sin is a crippling condition. Sin leaves us in a sad and pitiful condition. I see a second depiction this morning. I see a sinner but I see believers. I see people like you and me. I see Christians who have an ailment, a spiritual sickness, that have allowed that sickness to overcome them to the point their paralysis has set in their lives. A besetting sin that's Paralyzed your ability to walk for God. A spiritual paralysis of a Christian who's in bondage to some sin, a sin of the Spirit, where when bitterness comes in, the root of bitterness springs up. The Bible says it defiles many, beginning with us. And I see where bitterness comes inside and we don't have our joy. We look at people with a suspicious eye. We don't think anything good about anybody else. We just think because somebody else has walked over me, they're going to do it again. And the spirit of bitterness has paralyzed our walk with God, our walk for the Lord. I see the paralysis of unforgiveness. If you're living today with the spirit of unforgiveness towards anybody else, it is paralyzing your ability to be fruitful and productive for God. I see, I see the paralysis of prayerlessness where where it's been a long time since we've prayed. It's been a long time since we spent a fruitful time with the Lord. It's been a long time since we've talked to God about all our needs. I see where the sin of perilousness has paralyzed our ability of seeing fruit in our lives. I'm just saying today, we look at this man, and he represents to me every believer that has had some kind of a sin or some kind of an issue in their life that's paralyzing them. I see the sin of unbelief, both for Christian and unchristian. I see people this morning who have unbelief here. I see 
this passage is a picture of unbelief or of people that, that don't believe God and won't trust in God. It's paralyzing their ability to be that way. But what bothers me more than the paralysis, and what should bother you more than the paralysis, is the fact this man was long time in that cage. He'd been 38 years in that condition. And I don't know about you this morning, but if I'm stuck with bitterness for a long time and unforgiveness for a long time and paralysis for a long time and not winning souls for a long time, hey, paralysis steps in. And when Jesus looks at it, he doesn't just count the years. He says, long time have you been in that matter. What a depiction. When spiritual paralysis sets in, our walk with God is interrupted. Spiritual paralysis sets in, our prayer channel with God is broken. Spiritual paralysis comes in. This is what the Bible says. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. Well, we see the crowd and we see the cripple. But you notice thirdly, we see the Christ. Aren't you glad in the midst of a darkened situation, we always find Jesus? Amen? We see the Christ. The Sabbath day. We'll talk more about that in another message. It's the start of a major feast. Jesus is in Jerusalem. Thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are there from all over. Jews converged in there. Nobody's even paying attention. Jesus is an unknown quantity except for people who know him. In fact, this infirm man, when, he meets, when Jesus meets him, he doesn't even know that's Jesus. By the way, Jesus is here this morning. Make sure you know who Jesus is. Amen. And the focus is not just on the crowd. The focus is not just on the cripple. Hey, let's get our focus on the Christ. Because we look at Jesus here, and I want you to notice we see Jesus, just the brightness and the effulgence of, of God's glory manifested through Jesus Christ. First of all, we see Jesus in his deity. The Bible brings our sight here beginning in verse 6 about the deity of Jesus Christ. And we look at here verses 6, 7, and 8. And we see Jesus in his deity that he's all God in this matter. Notice first of all in his deity we see Jesus is all seeing. Look what it says here to us. The Bible says when Jesus saw him lie. May I tell you long time before Jesus saw him lie. Jesus saw him there before he even came there. Jesus sees all things. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, the eye, Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. I love reading Genesis chapter 1 as we start off reading through Genesis. And the Bible says, God saw that he made and he said it was good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil, the good and the evil. Jesus is all seeing, he saw that man. Yeah, he saw the crowd, but he focused on one man because he saw something that needed to be addressed. May I remind you this morning, if you're broken, if you're hurting, you're set back, you're struggling with something that's been an issue for many years, Jesus sees you too, amen? He's all seen, but notice in his deity, he's all knowing. Jesus saw him lying, notice, and he knew. Hey, can I tell you this morning, Jesus knows all about your troubles, Amen. Jesus knows all about your condition. He knows all about what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows all about these things. Jesus is all seeing. Jesus is all knowing. Look what the psalmist David said in Psalms 139, verse 1 and 2. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Nobody knows you better than Jesus. Nobody knows what you're thinking better than Jesus. He knows us. He knows who we are. And he said in verse 2 of Psalms 139, Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts from afar off. Hey, we see Jesus' deed. He's all seeing. He's all knowing. But as we work our way through this chapter, we see Jesus Christ is all powerful. Listen, the very last thing Jesus said before he ascended to heaven in Matthew 28, 18, he said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. May I remind you this morning, he doesn't have limited power. He doesn't, he's not short of power. He has all power. All power is given to Jesus. He said, all power is given to me in heaven. Do you understand that this morning? It is not nuclear power. It is not hydroelectric power. It's not any of that kind of power. It's holy power that we have from God. All power is given to me. All power to forgive sins. All power to deal with our problems. All powerful. All power to answer prayer. All power is given to Jesus Christ. Here we find Jesus in his deity. He's God incarnate. He's God incomparable. And by the way, he is God incredible this morning. Jesus in his deity. But notice in verse 6, we see Jesus in his diagnosis. 
Jesus saw him lie and knew when he had been, down, been now for a long time the case, he saith to him, you go to the doctor's office, you're not feeling very well. First thing the doctor asks you, what's wrong with you? And if you're honest, you should say everything, amen, you know? What's wrong with you? And you go back again, and they have it in the chart, which you told them that you got a knee problem, but they don't read the chart, amen? What's wrong with you? They scratch your head. They're trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Hey, Jesus already knew what's wrong with him. Jesus does, us, does a benefit for this man. does a benefit for us. He cuts to the chase. Amen? He cuts to the chase. He knows what's wrong with this man. It's obvious what's wrong with that man. It's obvious. Hey, if you're not saved, it's obvious God knows you're a sinner and needs to get saved. If it's obvious today that if God knows that you're struggling with some area of your life, he said you, that's paralyzed you, he knows all about it. So notice what Jesus does in this diagnosis. He cuts to the chase, and in verse 6, he says one question. Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healthy? Do you want to walk? Wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be half a man or do you want to be all man? Do you want to walk? What that be made known? He's making a diagnosis. Hey, God looks at you and me this morning. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be well? Do you want to have good spiritual health? Do you want to have your greatest spiritual year ever? Do you want to have a year where you read the Bible? Do you want to have a year where you see answered prayer? Do you want to see a year where God works in your life? Do you want to see God do the impossible? Will you be made well? What do you want from God? By the way, if you're not saved, do you want to get saved? Do you want to be saved? You want God to use you? Wilt thou be made whole? Are you going to stay the same? Are you going to keep lying there like everybody else? What do you want to do? Jesus makes his diagnosis. Listen, Jesus knows all about you and me. He's making a diagnosis right now. He already knows what the issue is, but the question we must answer is, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be whole? We see Jesus here. He's, he comes to him in his deity. Jesus comes and is making a diagnosis. But notice verses 89. We see Jesus in his demonstration. But you notice something very interesting here? The man said in verse 7, sir. And the word sir is a very interesting word. It's the Greek word kurios. It's a word that's translated Lord. Same word that the nobleman used in John chapter 4, sir. Isn't it kind of interesting? He wasn't, this man laying there could have been rude and said, who are you? I mean, Jesus was not dressed like a Pharisee. Definitely wasn't dressed like a doctor. Normal garments. He didn't say, who are you? Get away from me. Somehow that man knew by as he heard the tone of Jesus' voice that only could touch and settle our hearts. Wilt thou be made whole? He says, sir, I have no man. I have no man. Isn't that interesting? There were no disciples to help this man at that moment. There was no Pharisee that could help that man at that moment. There was no priest from the temple that could help that man at that moment. He says, I have no man. I have no family. I have no colleagues. Definitely not the people around here. They're all trying to get in there too. He says, sir, I have no man. When the water's troubled to put me into the pool, when I'm coming, another step it down before me. And I like what Jesus did here. Would you notice he demonstrates he's the son of God. He demonstrates his power. In the Bible, notice very carefully, notice very carefully, verse 8. Jesus saith unto him. Jesus didn't touch him. Did you notice that? He didn't touch him. He didn't extend a hand to him. Jesus saith to him, rise Take up thy bed and walk. Jesus is demonstrating his authority and power through his word. Jesus is demonstrating his authority and power through his word. The spoken word. The word of God. 
This is the word of God that's being spoken. Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Listen, we're, we're, we imagine that when we say that God's going to do something phenomenal, this is where the charismatic teachers do a total disservice to the word of God. They, people get this idea, well, there's got to be, be these explosions, and, and, the, and we're going to drop the drapes, and the confetti's going to come down, and someone's going to loosen their tie, and someone's going to take off their shoes and start running around. We don't have any of that hype here, amen? By the way, we have a God that's holy, not a God full of hype, amen? And we don't see any hype here. We see the demonstration of the authority of the power of the word of God in this man's life. May I say to you this morning, God's word changes lives. God's word makes a difference. He saith to this man, rise, take up thy bed and walk. It was the word that changes man's life. May I tell you this morning, it was, it's the spoken word of the Lord that brought the worlds into existence. Listen to Psalms 33 verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Now you read Genesis 1, the Bible just talks and God says this, let there be light. He spoke the worlds in existence. Hebrews 11:3 tells us, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made by things which do appear. Do you understand the power of God's word? God's word spoke and this man was healed. God's word spoke and this man rose up. God's word spoke and the worlds were made into existence. We have the planets and the constellation and the sun and the light and the night and we have the confidence all that all because God spoke the word. John 18 verses 46 one of my favorite passages. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas has now led a delegation of 500 or so men and soldiers armed with knives and, and, uh, and spears and, 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 and swords and all these things and with torches. And they come to Jesus, and they came thinking they're going to arrest this major criminal there. And notice John 18, verse 4 says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that, he, that should come upon him, he went forth and said to them, what, whom seek ye? He saw them. But you know what Jesus did? He walked up to them, and he asked them a question. Who are you looking for? Who are you looking for? And it says, whom seeking? You read verse 5. They answered and said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, notice, it's the word of Jesus, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, the, uh, betrayed him stood with him. But notice verse 6. As soon, as soon then as he said unto them, I am he, they went backwards and fell to the ground. You know what happened? I'm, I'm who you're looking for. Whoa. They fainted. God's word is powerful. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It's not a boring book. It's an alive book, amen. The word of God is quick. And notice it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It doesn't matter how sharp you have your knife. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Notice as God's word is working, it begins by piercing Listen, that's what Ehud did over there in the book of Judges. He thrust the knife in deeply. Listen, if you want to get sin out of your life and you want to get revival in your soul, you've got to get the thrusting of the word of God deeply in your heart. The Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing and then dividing asunder the joints and the marrows and it's the discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. Listen, God's word is so powerful. Even right now, God's word is piercing and dividing. And cutting asunder, God is cutting away at things that are hardening us. He's cutting away at previous scar tissue of sin. He's cutting away at that bitterness. He's cutting away at that anger. He's cutting away at that unforgiveness. He's cutting away at the sins of immorality. He's cutting away at that lying. He's cutting away at that idolatry. He's piercing and dividing asunder. All Jesus had to do, brother and sister in Christ, is speak the word and it was done. You don't need hype. You need the word of God. You say, how does a person get saved? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. By the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. God's word was never given to us to be debated. It was given to us to debate for. It was never given to us to be argumentative about. It was given to us to argue for. Why? Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed and it's profitable. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Jesus demonstrated his power by just speaking his word. By the way, by the way, you read over in Zechariah, I believe it's chapter 14. 
and Revelation 19, what some will call the end of the world, believers, we call it the second coming. On the vesture, Jesus rides on this white horse. He makes his entry. We know how the future is going to end, how it's all going to fold. The word of God is written on him. How does he defeat all of these armies gathered there in the valley of Megiddo there to fight with him? He just speaks the word, and they're defeated. Just speaks his word, and they're defeated. What saves your soul? His word. What saves your soul? His word. What helps you in your time of difficulty? His word. We see the power of Christ. This man was changed immediately. Listen, we look at this man, notice what happens. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And notice verse 9. It wasn't progressive. It was immediate. Salvation is not a progress of events. You don't have to climb 10 stairs and go through 10, 10 different ceremonies. Notice, immediately the man was made whole. Listen, you get Jesus Christ in your heart, right now you can be saved. You don't have to wait 10 years from now and wait for some man's approval. Immediately the man was made whole. Listen, you get Jesus in your heart right now and get saved. You can be made whole and be saved today. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Rolled up his bed and he walked, and on the same day it was the Sabbath. We'll talk about that later. Now, I want you to notice some things about this man before I, we're almost done. This man was not salvaged, he was saved. He was not repaired, he was regenerated. He was not lucky, he got the Lord, amen. That's the demonstration of power of Jesus Christ. Hey, we see this morning, we see the crowd, we see the cripple. We see the Christ, but I want you to see one more thing before we're done. And so I'm going to wrap it all together. But you notice the command. Please look at verse 8 with me one more time. Jesus, if you notice verse 8, he did not issue this man a suggestion, he gave him a command. He didn't play games with him. He told him exactly what he needed to do, but it was a command. Rise. Take up thy bed and walk. Jesus at this moment of time is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. He's the great physician who heals the sick. He's God incarnate who's there. He's the one who asks that man, do you want to get well? Do you want to walk? Will you be made whole? I want you to notice this morning the command as we finish today. Jesus gave this man a command, and I want you to focus on one word today. That command was get up, and then he said walk. He told that man to walk. He said, sir, if you want to get well, you've got to walk. Sir, you've got to get up. You've got to roll that mat and put it under your arm. That mat, which identified you as a cripple, roll it back up and put it under your arm. You let people know you're no longer crippled, but man, you just can't get Get up and just hold that man under your arm. You've got to get up and walk. Jesus told that man to walk. He said, sir, walk. He said, walk, man. You've got to walk. You've got to keep on walking. You've got to keep on walking. That's something that man had not done for a long time. He had not walked for 38 years. And he told that man, you need to walk. And I'm saying to you this morning, maybe today we've got some Christians in this room. You are paralyzed by some besetting sin. You are paralyzed by some unbelief. You are paralyzed by bitterness and unforgiveness. You're paralyzed by some besetting sin. I have a great word for you from Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. Walk. Walk if you would. Walk for the Lord. Walk to God. You've been paralyzed by the sin of paralysis. It's time. You've been in that condition too long. It's time to walk. You've been paralyzed by doubt and unbelief in a hardened heart. You've been in that condition too long. It's time to walk. You've been, if you've been paralyzed by the root of bitterness and, 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 and that sprung up in your heart, you've been in that condition too long. It's time to walk. Listen, no matter what it is, whatever is paralyzing our faith and paralyzing our progress and paralyzing our ability to serve God and paralyzing the fruit that should go downward, that should bear fruit upwards, I say to you this morning, brother and sister Christ let's go and walk sinner walk to Jesus and get saved Christian walk and take the gospel to sinners who need to hear about Jesus how beautiful are the feet of them that bear the gospel of peace you've been paralyzed by inactivity and withdrawal from serving the Lord here in 2019 our 20th anniversary walk Founding members walk. Faithful members walk. 
Servants of God walk. Adult growth teachers walk. Ministers of God walk. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're young or you're old, you're middle-aged, whatever your condition, you're sick or well, whatever it may be. This man, he rose. He rolled up that bed. He stopped looking at the cop out. He stopped looking at his excuse. He stopped looking at the thing that was holding him down. He took that thing, and by the power of God, he took control of that mat, which one time controlled him. He rolled that mat up. He put it under his arm, and Jesus said, rise, sir. You take up that bed and walk. And that man started walking. He started walking for God. And I say to you today, whatever is holding you back and keep him being productive and useful for God, roll up that mat and go out and walk to Jesus this morning. Walk. Walk in the word of the Lord every day and get your joy back in your heart. Amen. Walk with God in the garden of prayer every day and get your power with God. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. Not a burden we bear when we do his good will. Excuse me. He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Rise, take up thy bed. Walk. Walk. We're 20 years old been in that condition a long time. Walk. Used to win souls, but you're inactive. Get up and walk. Used to make your way down the aisle. Get up and walk. Used to take, spend time with God. It was sweet. You walked with him and he walked with you, but it's time to get back to the garden of prayer and walk. And by the way, something this morning, you just need to get up and say, I'm going to walk for Jesus and serve the Lord. Get up and walk. You'll notice we began with a fountain did you notice something interesting? I don't discount that something happened to that fountain. But do you notice something? Two things are interesting about that fountain as we close. Number one, did you notice all the people that were around that fountain besides that man? He's the only one that walked. Now, he wasn't the only lame man that was there. And I promise you if, you, if you study this passage closely enough, this man was not isolated somewhere else. In fact, he was about as close to that pool as you could be. Hey, there are other people that heard that he's the only one that walked. Hey, who, is there only going to be one person who's going to walk for God? Well, the rest is going to lay down and just continue to languish in our misery and languish in our unbelief and languish in the besetting sin? Get up and walk. There's something else interesting. It wasn't that fountain of physical water that would do that man good. It's the water of life, Jesus Christ, that changes your life. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The fountain this man went to, the fountain he went to couldn't help him. Jesus is the water of life. You'll never thirst again. But Jesus was trying to tell those people, you put your hope in the physical Get your eyes on me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Come to Jesus this morning. Get up. Walk. Get up. Walk. We're not talking about walkathons. We're talking about walking for God. It's time to walk. It's time to walk. If you're not saved this morning, come to Jesus. You've been paralyzed by something that's holding you back. Get up and walk. Father, this morning, thank you today for the story of this man. What an incredible conclusion and ending this man had. He took that old bed that held him down, and he got up and he walked. Would you help us this morning? There's some spiritual paralysis. It's so easy to get in. And Lord, maybe as we unfolded this scripture in, your, in all of our minds, Lord, you put something in our mind that has caused us to be like this man, lame and paralyzed for a long time. When Jesus came to him, he said, Will thou be made whole? Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healthy? I pray this morning, deep down in our hearts, for some sinner to say, I want to get saved. I want to get Jesus in my heart now. I pray for Christians who've been inactive. And kind of what Brother Danny alluded to during the offering. They're just kind of in the middle of the road. 
doing nothing, waiting the years off till they retire, fading off in the sunset, doing the minimum. And some, Lord, who've been beset by discouragement because they've looked at that man and said, what's the use? Like that man says, when I want to go forward, someone else steps over me. Father, help us to rise up, to get up and walk. To not let that sin and that discouragement to hold us down, but get up and walk. Help someone today who's not saved. They know how to get saved. They need to get up and walk to Jesus and get saved this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll have your powerful way in our hearts. The Word of God was what Jesus spoke and healed this man. And the Word of God, Lord, can help us to get victory over sin, victory over our circumstances, and victory, Lord, so we can make sure that heaven's our home. Father, would you do a powerful, mighty work in our lives today? I wondered this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there someone today you're not 100% sure you're going to heaven? And that's important, by the way. You're not sure you're going to heaven. You don't have that 100% assurance based upon the word of God. Has God spoken to you? You feel like that man? I need to get saved. There's someone like that today that would say, Pastor Fong, I'm not 100% sure I'm saved, but I want to know. I want to get saved today. You'd raise your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to, get, I want to be sure I'm saved. Anyone like that? You'd raise your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I, I need to get saved. Would you help pray for me this morning? And then for Christians this morning, as paralysis set in our lives, been a long time in that condition, Jesus said, get up and walk. Let him take control. Let the power of his word cleanse. Let the power of his word control. Let the power of his word compel us to do what's right. Why don't you take some time this morning and walk. Walk to the Lord. Walk to Jesus. Claim his power. Get his enablement. Father, bless the invitation. Use it now for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand, heads bowed and eyes closed.